If you have your Bibles, you can grab them quickly. Turn to the book of Daniel today. Come on, somebody. The book of Daniel is a is an amazing book. It's a prophetic book. There's a lot in this book. And we're going to start in Daniel 3, verse 14. Verse 8 through verse 18. We got four verses today to kind of set up for our direction and lay a foundation for where, where God is going to take us today. And this is what it says. King Nebuchadnezzar said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whose real name were Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. This was the name that Nebuchadnezzar gave, that the culture tried to change the name that God gave them. And so most of us actually know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego instead of Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, but that's their names. And he says this to them. He says, is it true that you do not serve my gods or bow down and worship the image of gold I have set up. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lar, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down, if you are ready to bow down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the fiery furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the fiery furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But, someone shout but. Come on one more time, shout but. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or bow down and worship the image of gold that you have set up. I pray that our faith would arise to that kind of a level. Where we believe God, we trust you, God. We trust you to walk with us through this difficult time. We, we trust you to heal us from this disease. We trust you, God, to be with us during all these trials and tribulations. And we believe you're gonna deliver us from it. We believe you're gonna heal us. But even, but even if you don't, know this, I'm still gonna worship you. I still choose you because you are the God of heaven and earth. You are the creator of all things. So I worship you, not because of what you can do for me, but I worship you and serve you because of who you are, because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, I pray that our faith would rise to that level today. I pray you would, raise, you would use these three men God, to raise our faith level in this place. Hallelujah. I pray you would convict us. I pray you would challenge us. I pray that you would correct us. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us through your word today to live the way that you say we are to live this life. I pray, Lord, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. And that our, that our hearts would be softened by your spirit to receive this word. God, I pray that I would decrease, that your spirit would increase, so that I would be able to deliver this word the exact way you desire and have designed me to deliver it today. Lord, we bind any distractions, any confusion right now. We bind any offense right now. We release your perfect peace, your perfect unity in this place. Hallelujah. We pray for your perfect understanding to overtake us right now, Jesus. Give us wisdom. Your word tells us that if any of us lack wisdom, let us ask of God who gives freely without reproach. And so God, right now, we pray for wisdom and understanding when it comes to your word today. Jesus, we worship you. We love you. We give you the glory and all the honor. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Before you're seated, high five five people. And I want you to tell them this. Buck, don't bow. Tell them, say, buck, don't bow. Buck, don't bow. Amen. Well, good morning, CWC. Come on, if you know God is good, shout God is good. 
Amen. Man, I want to get that burned in our minds and written on the tablets of our hearts. Man, we got to know that we serve a good, good God. Because hear me, as the world around us gets worse and worse, okay? Maybe you haven't noticed. Maybe your head's been buried in the sand. That's okay. Praise the Lord. However, as the world around us gets worse and worse, we got to know we, we serve a good God because all the things around us aren't good. So we got to know the one we serve is good. But, but hear me, hear me. Let, me, let me just say this. Uh, did you know this is supposed to happen according to Scripture? Like, like this is what the Bible says will happen to the world that we, we live in. It, it, it tells us. It's, it's clear. So, but a lot of times we act surprised when this stuff is happening the way the Bible says it's going to happen. And we're like, oh, no, our minds are blown, right? Or maybe we just haven't read the Bible and we should probably be doing that um, so that we, we know what's to come. But 11 months ago, right, I, I went through a series. We went through a series titled Signs of the Times. How many of you remember that series? You guys remember it? Yeah, some of you. Yeah, amen. Um, yeah, in that series, what we did is we actually walked through the scriptures and showed you what the signs of the times were for the last days, okay, so that we all knew what, what was coming down the pike. And, and, and when we say the last days, what we simply mean is the days right before the great tribulations hit, right? Right before Jesus returns for his bride, one without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. Now, there's a lot that goes into to, to the last days, but I don't have time to get into all of that. You can go listen to that series if you, if you want to, because we step through it. But, but that's as simple as I can make it. The last days are, are the days leading up to the great tribulations that will come on the earth. That's what God says. It's the days leading up to when Jesus Christ, right, will return. But when he returns, hear me, he's going to judge the world concerning sin. That, that's what he's going to come to do. Now, he's going to come to rapture his church, take us home with him, so we don't walk through the tribulations, I pray in Jesus' name, that that doesn't have to happen. However, when he returns, he is going to judge this earth and the people of the earth concerning sin. And, and, and look, because we got to understand that Jesus is the Savior, but he's also the judge. See, see, we love that Jesus is the Savior, and we should, by the way, I love that, man. He saved me. He redeemed me. He cleansed me. It's amazing. However, we don't like it when we hear that he's a judge. But whether we like it or not, it's coming. That day is coming when Jesus will return. And he's going to look over our lives and see how we live for him. See how we stood for him. He's, he's going to judge us and, and see exactly if we only bowed to him and him alone or did we bow to the culture that we're living in. And listen, if he finds us being unfaithful to who he is and our commitment to him to follow him, if he finds us in that place, the Bible is clear. He says, he will say to us, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you be cast into the lake of fire where the fire never stops burning and the worm never stops eating. That's, that's, what, that's what the Bible says. And so, man, we, we have to remember that we are not allowed to bow to culture. We're not allowed. We're not allowed to live this life the way they live their life. We're not allowed to do the things that culture does. We're, we're not allowed to say the things that the culture says. We're not allowed to believe in the things that the culture believes in. We're not allowed. Listen, if, if people don't know who and what you stand for and what you stand against, it's because you look just like them. You look just like the culture. And hear me, this is a major problem. This is a major problem. A major problem. Because we are called not to blend into the crowd. We're called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We're not allowed to look like the crowd. Scripture commands us as Christ followers, guess what? To be aliens. Aliens. People are so consumed right now with UFOs. Have you ever seen that on the news right now? Everybody's talking about UFOs, this and UFO, whatever, right? We're supposed to be a bunch of UFOs walking around on this earth, a bunch of aliens looking completely different. We're sojourners. We're from another world. That's what the Bible says, that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. 
So people should know what and who you stand for and what and who you stand against. People should be able to tell that. If not, there's a problem with that. There's a major problem with it. And man, we need to pray for God's grace to strengthen us to make sure that we start, we start revealing and people know where we stand and who we bow for. We better pray. You know, I was talking to the Lord several, several months ago in this one instance. Now I talked to him more than several months ago, but hear me. Several months ago, I was talking to him and, you know, what he gave me was really, really good. What he gave me, it was, it was a revelation for me anyway. Now, maybe it won't be for you because you're more holy than me. But what he spoke to me really, really impacted my life in a real way. And I kept asking him, I kept saying, God, can I share it with him? Can I share it with him? Can I share it with him? No, 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 no. And I'd do it again the next week. What about now, God? What about now? Let me, let me share it. Let me share it. Let me share it. This went on for 10 months until right now. And the Lord finally released me to speak it to you. But I was asking him, I was saying, Lord, so why is it right now that as Christians, we're having so much trouble standing for what the word of God says to stand for? Why are Christians, us Christians, all of us, why are we having so much trouble standing against what the world stands for? Why is this such an issue in the church now? And God clearly spoke to me something. Because hear me, if, if we know what we stand for and what we're supposed to stand against, then we should, should clearly be able to do that because the scriptures tell us it. The scriptures lay it out clearly for us. It's not hidden. It's, it's boom. Right here it is. This is how you are to live. And this is what you're to stand for and what you're to stand against. But the Lord said to me, he said, well, the biggest, one of the biggest deceptions that the enemy has put upon the church is empathy. The enemy has used empathy to deceive, to deceive the church. And, and he said to me this. He said, you are to sympathize with culture, but you're not supposed to empathize with culture. And so I had to do a word study on these two words because I, I got to admit to you, I was super confused by God. I was super confused. I was like, what, 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 what are you talking about, Lord? Like, see, those two words are so intermingled and intertwined in our culture, in our day and age. So I thought that we could just interchange sympathy with empathy and it's the exact same thing and it's no big deal. You can just exchange one for the other. But as I did the word study on the words, I realized, no, 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 these two words are completely different. And the meanings of words matter. What we say matters. What we believe a word means matters. And so if the enemy can deceive us into understanding and not understanding what the word actually means, man, he can mess us all up. And so I, I did, a, did a word study on it. And, and to sympathize means I can understand where you're coming from, right? That makes, that makes complete sense. I can understand it. I can, I can try to understand what you're going through. Sympathy means that we, we try to, to sympathize with the trials and the tribulations that people are experiencing then, you know? And I think that is obviously good. We should, we should sympathize. Now, if you want to bring that into the church, what does that sound like and look like inside the church? It would sound something like, yeah, man, I can, I can sympathize with the sin that is trying to plague your life, and I hate it. I hate it, and I will fight with you, and I'll fight for you against the enemy to let you go. I hate the addiction that is on you, and I'm believing God for you. I sympathize with your situation. And so now my sympathy will cause me to pray with you and for you while at the same time encouraging you to repent and turn from the thing you're doing. That's, that's sympathy. We see this throughout scripture with Jesus. And, and when I was studying, I, I remembered, I recalled to my, you know, to, to my mind and my heart the, the story of the, the woman caught in adultery. So this woman is caught in adultery, having an affair on her husband. Well, the law of the land said that if you have an affair on your husband, you are to be stoned to death, hit over the head and over the body until you die. That's what it means. And so the religious leaders of the time, they grabbed the woman caught in adultery, take them before Jesus and said, hey, the law of Moses says she deserves death. 
What do you say? She deserves for us to stone her, but what do you say, Jesus? He looks at him and says, well, you with, without sin cast the first stone. You know what's really funny? He is without sin, so he could have cast the stone, but he chose not to. But anyway, he says, but you, you without sin cast the first stone. Of course, all of them had to drop their stones because after all, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of his glory. It's just the reality of human nature. And so this is what he, he says. And, and after he looks up, he sees the religious leaders have left and, and she's still sitting there by herself and she's all alone. She says, he says to her, woman, they, they, didn't, they didn't condemn you? Well, neither do I. But you know what he says next? Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Turn away from the things you're doing because if you don't, something even worse will come upon you. That's what he says. That's what he said to her. He sympathized with her situation and with her struggle, but then he encouraged her through correction. He gave her grace with truth. He didn't give her one or the other. He gave her both, perfect measure of both, but he didn't compromise his beliefs or the word of God. Instead, he encouraged through correction. So sympathy is to understand and then to give grace with truth. And if needed, correction through encouragement. But empathy is different. Empathy is different. Empathy is this, to share in your beliefs. To share in your beliefs or your feelings. And why is this a problem? I'll tell you. The church cannot empathize with the world because that means we would have to compromise our beliefs. We would have to. Because if we share in their beliefs, that means we have to compromise the word of God. And let me tell you what's a major problem. Because the world thinks, the world believes that abortion is good. That's what they believe. The law says they can do it. They believe abortion is good. They believe sexual immorality is good. That's why everywhere you look, they're trying to get you to have sex. It's just true. They believe homosexuality is good. They believe transgender is good. They believe alcoholism and drug addiction is okay. So if we empathize, we share in their beliefs. If we empathize, we have to compromise. It's just that simple. We'd have to compromise our beliefs in order to empathize with their situation and with what the world is doing. And according to the word of God, you and I don't have the luxury to do that. We're just not allowed to do it. We're not allowed. Could you imagine Jesus having empathy on the woman caught in adultery? Because it would have looked completely different in the way he spoke to her if he was having empathy. Because he would share in the same feelings, the same beliefs that she had. So he'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. I feel you. Like, okay. You like to run around on your husband? Cool. You know, you like, you know, multiple sexual partners? No, no problem. Cool. It's, it's no big deal. Just let's get up and forget this ever happened. But that's not, that's not what he does at all. He doesn't act like it's no big deal. He says, oh, no, no, I don't condemn you, but you better go and sin absolutely no more. He sympathized. He didn't empathize. And he gave her grace and he gave her truth. He drew a hard line in the sand of, of truth for her and said, turn away from the life that you're living. In Hebrews chapter four, verse six, the Bible says this, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way that we are, except is without sin. Sympathize, not empathize. See, Jesus can sympathize with our struggle. He understands what we're going through, but, come on, someone shout, but, but yet he was without sin completely. So he doesn't, he doesn't share. He sympathizes. He doesn't empathize because he will not compromise the word of God no matter the cost. He will not. Don't matter who we are or what we're going through. He will not compromise on the word of God. This is why he tells each and every one of us to repent of our sin, to, to keep with the, the spirit of repentance so that we bear the fruit of repentance and never return to it again. 
He doesn't share in the feelings that we have towards sin. He doesn't share that sin is pleasurable for a season like we do. He doesn't share in that. He knows how awful it is and how it separates us from the Father and from our Creator. So he does not compromise his beliefs in order to empathize with how the world feels. And the Lord said to me very clearly, he said, the church has to stop empathizing with the world so that they stop compromising in the word. They have to stop. And they gotta start sympathizing with them. And he took me to John chapter one, verse 14. Most of us probably know the, the, the verse. It says this, and the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the, of the only son of God, full of grace and full of truth. Perfect picture of sympathy. Perfect picture. Full of grace and full of truth. We've gotta be full of grace, but full of truth. Because if we're all grace and no truth, now we're empathizing and not sympathizing. You know, when people come to me, right, and they're struggling with a drug addiction or, or something like that, right, they'll come to me. And man, I don't, I don't empathize with them. I do not. Because I don't share, possibly I don't share the same feelings they have towards drugs. I hate it with every fiber of my being. I hate them. I literally can't stand, I disdain them. And a lot of times when people come to see me and they want to talk to me about their addiction, they're actually not ready to get off of them yet. I'm just being honest. That's what happens. They come to me and what they're looking for is me to say, it's going to be okay. It's fine. It's cool. God's grace is what they expect from me. But that's not what they get from me. Instead, I say, oh, no, no, no. You need to say no. You got to draw the hard line in your life. I understand. I sympathize. I've been there. I've seen it. I, I, I do, but I know my God is greater because I've watched him pull me through it. I tell him, if you'll turn and walk away from it, he'll walk with you. He'll strengthen you. If you choose to go after him and choose to say no, no to the lifestyle and no to the drugs. But if you don't, it's not going to be okay. Your life is going to be a wreck. I just tell him. It is not going to be fine. Because that's the, that's the truth. But then I come in, but there's a better way. I know a better way. And if you turn to Jesus, he'll take you right through it. And you'll be just fine. You'll be better than fine. He will do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could ever ask, think, or imagine. According to the power that's at work within you. If you say no and yes to him, he'll do so much for you, it'll blow your mind. It'll literally blow your mind. But you know what I found that's actually happened in the church is, is this, that back in the day, back in the day, a long time ago, the church had no grace, but all truth. And so when people would come in with sin in their life, the church would crush them because they would have this facade on them. Like they had it all together and I'm all prim and proper. And I, man, I don't sin at all. I'm the perfect husband. Now I am, others aren't, but I, I'm the perfect wife. I'm the perfect son or daughter. I got the perfect family. This is how they act. Well, it's just not true. It's not true. None of us are perfect. Again, except for me. But they, oh, my wife's back there saying, shut up, you're lying from the pulpit. But none of us are. And the church back then, because they were just all truth, they would, they would crush people who were living in sin. Instead of giving them grace, and truth. And so what we did is we changed it. The church changed their stance, which by the way, we should have changed our stance. But instead of coming into the middle, we, we've swung the pendulum clear over here. And now there's no more truth. It's just all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. You're living in sin. Cool. No big deal, man. Just say, sorry. God's cool with it. God understands, but that's just not true. It's just not true. We, we now, we're all, we're all grace. And so we're like, well, it doesn't matter that people don't know you follow Jesus. It doesn't matter that you look exactly like the world looks. It's okay. Because it's all grace with no truth. And see, that's, that's empathizing, not sympathizing with someone. So we've got to be, be full of grace and full of truth, just like Jesus was. And stop empathizing and sharing in their feelings and their beliefs. And saying, oh, no, no, no. We cannot compromise. We can't share it because we, we have the word of God. And this is, this is what we bow to. This is, 
This is what we stand for and we stand with. See, we've got to be a people who will buck, not bow. Come on, tell your neighbor, buck, don't bow. Tell him, buck, don't bow. And see, this is what we see actually in Daniel chapter 3 where we started our day today. But what we see in Daniel chapter 3 couldn't have happened unless they had Daniel chapter 1. See, you can't get to Daniel 3 unless you have Daniel chapter 1. And it's very important for us, us to see this. Because the decision to buck in Daniel chapter 3 for these four young Jewish boys started in Daniel chapter 1. It didn't start in Daniel 3. It started with the little things. They decided in their hearts and in their minds to buck the little things of culture. So then when the big thing of culture came, they just did what they always did. They could buck it as well and not bow to it. They settled in their hearts. They settled in their minds. They weren't going to bow to anything this culture threw at them. They weren't going to do it. They had made up their minds. They were going to live a life as a royal priesthood, a holy nation separated only for God. They, they made up their minds not to compromise with, with, with culture, not one bit. Not even in, in the little things that we find in Daniel chapter 1. And because they did Daniel 1, they ended up in Daniel 3 being able to do what they did. Being able to stand for the God they served even in the face of death. Because they were going to die if they didn't bow to the culture. And they were able to stand. See, what we find in Daniel chapter 1, and I'm going to move as quickly as possible here. But I haven't preached in two weeks, so you're going to get two weeks worth of sermon in one week. And you think I'm kidding, I'm not. So, Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, what we find is, is the people of Israel doing what is, is evil in the sight of the Lord. And so God puts, gives them into the hands of the Babylonians, into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar has the most powerful and vast lands of all the people on the earth. He is the most powerful man on the entire planet. He's got the greatest military might. He's got the, the, the most fertile lands and the largest kingdom of anyone. But he wanted more. He wanted more than even what he had. I mean, as listen to me, the enemy isn't satisfied with just a little He's going to keep taking more and more and more if you let him. I promise you that. King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't satisfied with having the biggest army and the biggest lands. So he needed more. And so he goes and attacks the Israelites. And, and nobody really knows how many Israelites went in exile with them. But they do know it was over 60,000 Israelites was taken in captivity and exiled to Babylon for over 70 years, okay? And when he took these Israelites in, he told his chief of staff, he said, hey, I want you to go and pick for, for me some of the sons of Israel. And I want you to, to bring in the brightest and the best looking, right, from the royal family and all these other, he had all these other uh, things that he, he wanted from these, these young men to be able to come into the, he had criteria, and he said, bring them in. And he said, I want you to teach them our culture, teach them our language, feed them our food. And what he was simply trying to do was trying to get God's people to look like his people. He was trying to get them to bow just like his people was bowing to them. He was trying to get God's people to bow to him, to look like them, to talk like them, to live like them, to eat like them. Nebuchadnezzar wanted, wanted God's people to become his people people. But out of all the sons of Israel, over 60,000 Israelites, there were four that decided to buck and not bow. Daniel, and now we read it with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but their real names was Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. Those four said, no, 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 we're not going to do it. And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, these young men had made up their minds that they were not going to defile themselves with the king's food. And what I find amazing about this is these four men decided at the start not to bow. That they would not compromise in Daniel 1. Even when it came to food. Even something as little as food. No, 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 we're not, we're not going to eat that either. 
And something that, that you have to, to, to pick up on here is, is this. Out of over 60,000 Israelites, only four of them stood for the God they served. The rest of them bowed to the culture they were in. Only four, which takes us to where Jesus says, look for the narrow path because only few will find it. Because that's the path that leads to life. That there's only a few, man. These, these were the few. This was four out of over 60,000 people. And so because they were standing basically all alone in this culture, you got to understand that the, the immense pressure that these, these boys were under. I mean, it was immense. Because I guarantee you, all their friends from back home, all their fellow countrymen was telling them, oh, just eat the food. It's, it's not that big a deal. It's only food. It's cool. It's okay. Just eat it. Shut up. Just do what they're telling you to do. Quit rocking the boat. Stop it and just just eat it. But see, they had made up their minds that wasn't going to happen. So no matter what people said or what other people did, they weren't going to bow. They were going to buck. They weren't going to do it. See, church, right now, we need as Christians to make up our minds. We're not going to bow to culture, period. No matter what, no matter what, we have to make up our minds, we will buck, not bow. That we won't even bow in the little things, not even the little things that you're telling me is little, I'm still not bowing to it. And you're not going to use your, your, your media influence to get me to do it. You're not going to use your music industry to get me to do it. You're not going to use your governmental power to get me to do it. You're not going to use the education system to get me to do it. You're not going to use the healthcare system to get me to do it. I'm not going to bow. I'm going to buck with everything that is within me because I trust the God that I serve. I'm just not going to do it. But see, we got to make up our minds now to make the stand, even in the little things. So that one day when the big things come, because hear me, the, the big, big things are coming. I promise you that. They're coming, whether you like it or not. The big things are coming. Culture is coming. And they're going to want to take it all. And if we can't stand up to the little things, there's no way we'll stand up to the big things. It will not happen. It will not. If we are used to bowing down now, we will bow down then. I will guarantee you. Because we will do what we've always done. We just will. This is why, man, God's calling his people. Take a stand and be steadfast. Set your face on me like flint. And make sure you're only bowing to me. See, these, these three Jewish boys, or these four Jewish boys, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. They made up their minds. We're not going to bow to anything. Anything the culture's doing, that's not, it's not for us. You can do whatever you want to do, but for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Right? I say that to my family and people that tell me what I need to be doing. Da, 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 da. Well, for me and my house, I don't really care what y'all do. You can do what you want to do. I'm going to pray for you, but for me and my house, we serve the Lord. And we're going to take a stand. And this is, this is what we got to be. And this is what Daniel and Hananiah and Michelle and Azariah did. And, and because of their stand for God, do you know what we see? The favor of God poured out on their lives. God elevated them to be the brightest and the smartest with all wisdom and all understanding. He provided for every single one of their needs. Even though they wouldn't eat the, the foods, the meats and all these fine delicacies, instead they... They, they had a Daniel fast, what we call a Daniel fast. Anybody ever done a Daniel fast? It's terrible. It's the most horrific thing in the world. And these dudes did it every day for years on end. We like to say it was only three years. It was forever. It was the 70 years they were there. They never did eat the food that culture ate. But anyway, this is what... This is what they decided to do. And because they decided to stand, God poured his favor out on them. But you know what else we do not read? We do not read that God poured his favor out on all the other Israelites. Just the four. Just the four. It wasn't like God was like, oh, it's a one size fits all. All of you can just have my favor. No, no, no. He gave it to those who stood for him and with him. And if we trust him in the days we're living in, he'll pour his favor out on us. I promise you that. He will strengthen us and walk with us through it. And if you jump over to chapter two, Daniel chapter two, 
we find Nebuchadnezzar. He has a dream, right? And this dream messes him up in the head, right? He don't know what to do with the dream, but he wants to know what the dream means. And so he calls all the wise men and all the divinaires, all the magicians, all the soothsayers, all the priests in his vast kingdom. He calls them all to the castle. And he says, hey, I want you guys to tell me my dream and then interpret the dream. Of course, all the, the priests and the soothsayers and the divinaires and the magicians, they say, well, okay, great. Well, give, give, give us the dream. We'll give you the interpretation. He says, oh, no, I'm not telling you what I dreamed. You will tell me what I dreamed and then you'll interpret it. And these, these guys are like, what? It's a hard thing that you ask from us, O king. There's not a person on the earth that could tell you the dream you had in secret and then interpret that dream to you. Not a person on the earth. It would have to be the gods that would do that. The Bible says he becomes infuriated with them. And he sends out a decree, kill them all. Kill every single wise man, every one of them. He says, tear them from limb to limb, leaving nothing of them behind. Kill them all. Daniel hears this and he says, oh, 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 shoot. Like, That's me. I'm in that. I'm, I'm part of the wise men. And so he goes to and finds the, the king's chief bodyguard. He says, hey, man, why, why did the, the king make this decree? The guy tells him. And Daniel says, okay, well, you go ask the king to give me a grace period. If he gives me just a, a small grace period, I will be able to come and tell him his dream and interpret the dream. The bodyguard says, okay, I'll try it. So he goes to King Nebuchadnezzar. And as the bodyguard's heading to King Nebuchadnezzar, you, you, know, what, you know what Daniel does? He runs to Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. And you know what he does? He says, pray. Pray. He said, ask for the mercy of God to be upon me to receive the dream and the interpretation of the dream because our lives depend on it. You know what he didn't do? He didn't run over to his friends and, and have a, a planning session. He didn't do that. He didn't run and say, hey, get the whiteboard. Let's, let's mark up some stuff and let's, let's, just, let's just brainstorm and figure it out. He didn't go asking people for their advice. He didn't ask the, his friends what they would do or what they should do or what he should do. They, he, didn't, he didn't do any of that. He didn't start complaining. He didn't start yelling. He didn't start pointing fingers at anybody. Nope. He started praying, calling on the mercy of God. What's he doing? He's simply going to the prayer warriors. Saying prayer warriors, I need you to pray. I need you to pray. Because we need mysteries from the mercy of God to be revealed. So that we can get through this life we're going through. Through this time that is trying to, to suppress us and take us out. You know, I think way too often we as Christians, right... When things aren't going the way we think they should go or the way we want them to go or even maybe the way we know God don't want them to go, but they're going that way. We don't turn to prayer first. Instead, we turn to people first. And we begin running around and asking our friends what would they do, asking our families to help get us through whatever we're, we're going through. We don't start praying. Instead, we start blaming and pointing fingers at everybody else and what's wrong everywhere else. We start complaining and we hop on social media and we begin venting and like, like that's gonna actually do something for us. This is what we do. Instead of getting on our knees and praying and calling on the God of heaven, the mercies of God. And that's what this text is trying to remind us of. Man, hey, be a people of prayer. Pray first. Pray first. Seek advice last. Pray first. Go after God in the place of prayer. See, the Bible says in Philippians chapter four, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication. Make your request known to God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. These are tough times. These are uncertain times that we are living in right now. And it should cause us to pray more now than ever before. I see so many Christians and so many people in the churches struggling with anxiety and depression and, and stress and all these things. I see so many Christians allowing the state of this union, this country we live in, steal their peace and their joy. I see so many Christians, man, they're, they're not turning to prayer. So guess what? They're turning to fear. They're internalizing fear. But it shouldn't be that way for Christ followers. It should not. 
Because the Bible says Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And you know what he says before he leaves and ascends to heaven? He says, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. It's yours. That way, no matter what happens on this earth, this corrupted earth, you'll have my peace. And the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Jesus says, my house should be known as a house of prayer. Not a house of worship. Not a house of services. No, no, no. A house of prayer. The church has to get back to being a people of prayer. We've got to get back to believing that God will reveal to us strategies from heaven by his mercy. We've got to believe that. This is what Daniel does. Calls a prayer gathering. They begin praying. And guess what? God begins answering. God gives the dream to Daniel with its interpretation. And so Daniel runs to King Nebuchadnezzar and he meets with him and says, hey, I got your dream for you. Cool, tell me what it is. And he says, all right, well, in your dream, you were standing and you were looking at a statue, a big image. It was a big, large image. And the image had a a head of pure gold, pure gold. And the chest and the arms was made of silver and the belly and the thighs was made of bronze and the legs and the feet were made of clay and iron mixed together. And Daniel said, why you were looking at this statue, admiring this image, a large rock came out of nowhere and smashed the legs of this statue. And when the statue fell down, it busted into dust of the earth. And a strong wind came and picked up and it swept it away like chaff on a threshing floor, meaning it just, whoop, gone. And he says, not, not, a, not even a sign of it remained any longer after the wind came through. And he says, but, someone shout but. But the rock, the rock remained. And after the rock knocked out the statue, the rock remained. And it turned into a mountain that covered the entire earth. That's what he said. And he said, here's the interpretation. He said, the statue represents the kingdoms of the earth. He said, the gold head, King Nebuchadnezzar, is your kingdom. It's a beautiful kingdom. But God's the one that gave you the kingdom. It wasn't you. God set you there. Because it's God who sets up kings and tears down kings, builds nations and tears nations down. He said, but God put you there. And he gave you this beautiful, beautiful kingdom. And there'll be nothing that will rival your kingdom to come. Nothing. The next kingdom will rise up. That's the arms of, arms of silver and chest of silver. But it will be inferior to yours. That's why it's silver. And then third, yet a third kingdom will rise up, which represents the bronze belly and the bronze thighs. And it'll be still inferior to the one even before it. But then finally, there'll be a fourth kingdom that will rise up and it will be made of, of iron. It'll be strong as iron because iron comes and smashes everything. That's what he says. But when all this is done, here will come this rock and it will come and smash all those kingdoms. And there'll be nothing left of the kingdoms of the earth. And that rock represents the kingdom of God. That's what he says. It represents the kingdom of God and his kingdom will be set up on the earth and it will expand the entire globe. And it will destroy every other kingdom ever built by man. But it itself will remain forever. How many of you know this this morning that one day God is coming to set his kingdom on the earth? And King Jesus will rule and reign forever. Over every tribe, every nation, and every tongue will be under him. And they will all bow and worship him. See, when the last days come and the last trumpet sounds, the Bible says the eastern sky will split. And at that time, Jesus will come. He'll be riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, with a sword coming out of his mouth, striking down all those who oppose him. That's what it says. All those who didn't stand for him and bowed to the culture. Wow. Church, that day's coming. And I believe it's coming sooner than what we ever thought it would be coming. And we've got to be ready for it. That's why the Lord's trying to prepare the church to be a people who buck And don't bow to the culture, but only bows to him and him alone. And this is the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has, right, in Daniel. Chapter 2, Daniel interprets the dream. 
And Daniel wasn't only speaking of that time, he was prophesying in the times to come as, as well. Daniel's an amazing prophetic book. Go, go read it. It's amazing. But after he does, he interprets the dream, gives the dream. King Nebuchadnezzar is so pleased with him that he elevates him and all three of his buddies, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. He, he elevates them and promotes them to the top ranks of his, of his government. But then if you fast forward to Daniel chapter three, where we started earlier this morning, actually 40 minutes ago, we're almost done, I promise. But if you fast forward to Daniel three, what we see there is King Nebuchadnezzar has a short memory. It's a very short memory. Because what he does is, is he builds for himself a statue. But the statue he made was made of all gold. There was no silver, there was no bronze, there was no iron, there was no clay. It was only gold. The whole statue that he built was made of gold. And you've got to pick up here what he's doing. Because what he's doing is very simply this. What he's seen in his dream from God, he changed to make it fit himself. He changed it to what he desired. He changed it to what he, what he wanted. And what he is saying is, is this with his image. No, no, no. It's all gold because it's all mine. Every bit of it. And my kingdom will be the kingdom that lasts forever. Not God's. Going directly against the God of heaven. But, but don't worry. If you keep reading on over to Daniel chapter 4, you'll see God has his way with him. And the reason God has to have his way with him is because the Lord will always oppose the proud, but he'll exalt the humble. He had gotten prideful and he builds this large golden statue. It's 60 cubits high and six cubits wide, meaning 90 feet tall and over nine feet wide is how big the statue is. It was huge. It was a beautiful, beautiful image, obviously, so that when people looked at the image, they would be enticed by it. They would be intrigued by it. They would be entranced by the beauty and the splendor of this, of this imagery. Then he says, hey, also declare to all the musicians to start playing. And every time they start playing this, this music, everybody, everywhere, is to bow. And if someone doesn't bow, they'll be thrown into the fiery furnace and killed immediately. And then in verse 8 of Daniel chapter 3, it says this, that at that time there were certain Chaldeans, right, of the time, who came forward and brought charges against Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. Meaning that certain people of the time and the culture was really upset about the success that these three Jewish boys received. Super upset about the favor of God on their lives. And so they decided to take them out. And isn't that just like what we see in the times we live in today? Everyone will not be pleased with the favor of God on your life and they'll try to take you down. There'll be some people who won't celebrate the fact that you are going to buck and not bow. I know of people who have literally went and got other people fired because those people wouldn't bow to what they were all bowing to. And so they went and told on them and got them fired from their jobs. This is what's happening in the world around us. But hear me, the Lord wants me to, to remind us here today, all of us today, that if we continue to stand for him, he will promote us and provide for us. He will elevate us. We don't need the culture to do it for us. I see so many Christians so worried about provision not trusting God to provide for them because they think it's their jobs that provide for them. They think it's their bank accounts and their investments that provide for them. But let me hear you. The Bible is clear. The Bible says he is Jehovah Jireh, the God that will provide for your needs according to his riches and glory. Yeah, did he use that job for that time? Cool. Thanks, God. If that closes, he'll open another door. I believe it without a shadow of a doubt. I've seen it in my life time and time and time again. And we're having to walk through it personally right now. Trusting God because we will not bow to the culture. We're going to buck them. And we're trusting God. He will provide for our families financial needs. Man, we got to be a people who trust God. He'll open other doors if he needs to. But see, these certain Chaldeans, they wanted to take them out. They wanted to take Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah out. Because they didn't like the promotion they received. They wanted that promotion. And so they go to King Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, man, these guys won't bow. They're bucking your system. They need to bow, but they won't bow. King Nebuchadnezzar calls them in and says, hey, is this true? 
He's, a, he's furious. He says, is this true? I'm gonna play music right now. And if you, if you bow, very good. But if you don't, I'm throwing you into the fiery furnace. And verse 16, and we're just gonna read it again. Midway, partway through, verse 16 says, this is what the boy said to him. We don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the fiery furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But, someone shout but. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or bow or worship the image of gold you have set up. In other words, we'll buck, not bow. No matter the consequence. And I'm I'm closing right now, I promise. For all you know, I'm closing right now. I want you to see the similarities of the time that we're living in. I want you to see the similarities of this Bible story and the story that we're living right now out in our lives. Because there's so many similes. There's so much that we are dealing with right now today that these four Jewish boys were dealing with in that time back then. Because what you have to understand is, as the Bible tells us, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new. What the enemy tried back then, he'll try again today. It's just... That's just what he does. In a version, what happened in the Bible will happen to us today. It just will. It may look a little different, but it'll be wanting the same outcome. And what the Lord showed me very simply was this, that King Nebuchadnezzar was the government of the time. He was the leader. He had the authority and the power because of his governmental position. The image that he set up represented the media. It represented the media because media is all about visual stimulation, all about what we see and what we see entices us. That was the media. That's why when we see something we like, we go after it because we're a people who, who, who see. This is why Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter six, verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be filled with darkness. This is why media is such a powerful, powerful tool for the enemy. He knows it, so he uses it to try to get us to bow to it, to bow to him. And think about music. Music has an incredible way of drawing us in, hypnotizing us to cause us to worship to cause us to bow. This is why you can go to a rock concert. You see all these people overtaken by the music, right? And they're screaming and they're shouting and they're crying for their favorite band or musician, whatever. Because music has an ability to draw us in. Nebuchadnezzar, the government of the time, he knew he could use his power, his influence, his authority as the leader to try to get these people to bow. He knew he could also use the media imagery to help him get the people to bow. He knew he could use the music industry in order to to get people to bow. And the enemy's doing the same thing to us today, the exact same thing. He's using our government against us. He just is. Right now, if you don't bow to their ideology or their agenda, they're coming after you, period. Try it. They're coming. He's using them against us. And if we don't bow, they'll make our lives a living hell. They are, are, are trying to, to get us fired if we don't bow to what they tell us to bow to. They're trying to take our, our jobs from us. They're trying to fire us. They're trying to ruin us on social media. They're trying to cancel us. They're shadow banning us. I mean, we're getting shadow banned so bad on social media. It's not crazy. It's crazy. Get 40 some shares and only 200 people see it. Like what? That used to be... 15,000 people would see it. And it's all in an effort to get us to bow. The enemy still using imagery, still using the media to try to tell us to bow. To go along with whatever everyone else is wanting us to go along with. He has almost all of Hollywood. He just does. He has almost all the sports world. He has almost every single news network and outlet. He has almost every TV program. That's why you can't watch anything with your family no more. You just can't because the enemy has it. 
Almost all the media, right, is telling us to bow. They're pointing at us. They're telling us to do certain things. And what they're saying is bow down to what they've already decided to bow down to. Telling us to compromise our beliefs to go along with their beliefs. A man, he uses the music industry. He has the music industry to try to hypnotize us and pull us in and lull us into a sleep to just continue to keep our mouths shut and our heads down and continue to bow. And this is very, very plain to see. They're just trying to get everyone to bow to what the culture is telling us to bow to. Our livelihoods being threatened, our bank accounts being threatened. I mean, we can't even go out to dinner now. Can't even go to dinner, can't go to the movies, can't. We can't travel, you can't get on a plane, you can't do. This is where it's all headed to. I mean, we can't even go into our hospitals to see our, our loved ones who are passing away. You can't even go there. Our lives as we have known it is over. It's changed. It just is. It's changed. And so, man, we gotta know how to stand and what to stand against and who to stand against. And say, oh, no, 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 no. Okay, okay, you can do all that. You can do all that. You can do it. But I'm not bowing to you. I bow to him. That's it. I'm going to buck you and bow to him. Just like Daniel and these Jewish boys. Everyone was telling them, it's just food. Think about it. Daniel chapter one, it's just food. Just eat what they're telling you to eat, man. It's not that big a deal. Just do it. But guess what? It didn't stay at food. You know where it went? It's only an imagery. It's only a statue. Just bow. Started out at just eat the food. Then it went to bow before it and worship it. Because the enemy is never satisfied with having a little bit. He wants it all. And he's going to use this culture to try to come and take it all. And this is why the Lord is speaking to the church right now. Stand up. Arise. Be strengthened. Be of good faith and good cheer. And know that because your God is for you, nothing and no one can stand against you. You can sympathize, but don't empathize. Because if you do, you'll compromise on your beliefs. Stop doing it. See, we all need to make up our minds right now, just like they did in the Bible. Just like these four Jewish boys. They made up their mind early. They made up their mind to stand against the little thing. So that when the big thing came in Daniel chapter 3, when their lives were being threatened, they could stand then too. We got to stand now so that we can stand then because it's coming. The Bible says it's coming. Come on, stand to your feet, please. See, we got to remember as the culture and this immense pressure is on top of us trying to get us to bow to it, trying to get us to submit to it, try to get us to, to go along with all of it and don't ask any questions about it. Just do what you're told to do. This immense pressure that we're feeling to bow was all over these boys as well. But because they were able to stand in the most strenuous of circumstances, the same God that rescued them, the same God that strengthened them is the same God that will do it for you. Same exact one. See, we've got to remember this, that one day, every knee, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and underneath the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will. And if we choose to only bow to him now, on that day, we'll be excited when he comes. Then we can pray what the apostle Paul said to pray. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come and get us. Come and get us. This is why we got to buck the culture and bow to the God we serve and only bow to one name because there's only one name that was given by which men can be saved, women can be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to stand with you, to stand for you. We thank you that you're standing with us and for us. We thank you for it. And I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that your people would be strengthened by you. Hallelujah. Strengthen them, Jesus. I pray that there would be this, this, this prayer movement that would rise up in your church. That we would truly be a house of prayer. That we would go to you first and foremost. 
and call upon your mercy to reveal to us the strategies of heaven. Lord, I lift up your people, strengthen them, encourage them, challenge them in the place that they are at right now. Yeah, Lord. Help us to stand against the little things so that when the big thing comes, God, we can stand up to it too and stand for you. Lord, I bless your people with your peace and your joy. I pray that. I pray faith would be released in the house over every heart and every mind, Jesus. Let faith arise so that the enemy would be scattered. Let faith arise so that the enemy would be scattered. Let faith arise so that the enemy would be scattered. Bless your people. Strengthen them. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen.